the people of sake actually brought me into sake. Back in 1988, this place was actually in Ginza on the main drag. At first it was kind of soy sauce, it was miso. To the point where it actually changed my life. New Year's Day 1989. Uh, not just sake as a beverage, but all the culture and history. Of Here we are. Hello. Thank you. Hey there. <laughs> thanks for joining me and thanks for tuning in to a brand new episode of Sake On Air, the world's first podcast dedicated entirely to expanding the dialogue around Japan's iconic beverages of sake and shochu. My name is Justin Potts, and I'm one of your regular hosts here on the show. And today I am very lucky to be joined by a guest whom I just sort of assumed I would have on the show years ago. Um, we had plans to have on the show years ago, um, but life is strange. And for some reason, it's taken this long uh, to make this happen. We've had I've had to move halfway across the world and actually move us further apart. And it's just now that we're actually able to sit down and, and have this chat. Um, I'm really thrilled to introduce and to share the show today uh, with Mr. Elliot Faber. Elliot is the co-founder of Sake Central in Hong Kong, as well as Sunday Spirits and a Sake Samurai. Elliot, thanks for getting up early with me this morning where you're at. Well, it's not that early, I suppose, but <laughs> I'm I'm definitely a bit foggy. We had a Awamori cocktail competition last night, Ryukyu 1429 Taste Wars, second year being held in Hong Kong, and uh, was able to give one lucky, very talented bartender the prize of not only a kame, a little earthenware jar to age uh unique awamori cocktails but i think to them more importantly uh, a three-day two-night trip to okinawa which uh is a amazing prize to give to somebody i think oh very cool very cool very cool that's excellent um i'm i'm not gonna lie i'm a huge okinawa fan and for regular listeners of the, listeners of the show they probably also realize i'm a i'm a big awamori fan as well and i'm i'm not a huge spirits drinker but Man, Aomori is something special. Um, and so that's that's super exciting that you guys did that. What was if if you don't mind, what was the what was the winning cocktail? Or do you want to tell us just a little bit about the event and kind of what what came out of it? Sure. So uh Taste Wars is a competition that is put on by Ryukyu 1429, which is a very unique uh Awamori brand in that they actually don't produce, but they work with different distilleries in Okinawa and they select unique profiles and bottle them as different expressions. You could almost think of it as a likening to a, uh, I would say, a tequila brand that has an Añejo and a Reposado and, okay. and a Blanco. Um, yeah. they, they are making a very specific product because we're talking about Awamori, but they choose distilleries that have different expressions at different ages so you've got three unique products that are coming from different places all under the ryukyu 1429 brand um, which sure. is named so as uh, to call reference to okinawa's original name of ryukyu and uh 1429 the the forming of the kingdom and discovery of awamori itself yeah excellent so excellent, excellent. the winning cocktail was actually from a bartender called nicholas young who is at Dark Side Bar, which is one of Asia's 50 best bars, uh, a nice award 
already and there was very hot competition. Koa, which is the number one bar in Asia, also had a really incredible cocktail. We had the St. Regis bar. We had Gishiki, which uh, is a really, they've got one location in Hong Kong, but they also do very well in Japan as well. So there was a really great uh, list of entrants. And this cocktail, that one is called Kojima. Um, and it was, it really struck us because there was a level of honesty in the bartender, um, Nicholas. He had never been to Okinawa. He wanted to show what he knew of Japan and what his impression of uh, Awamori was and his understanding of UQ 1429. He made sure that he made a, for example, the recipe calls for a, a saline solution. And he went to the local shops and found Ishigaki salt. Oh, so cool. he could use Okinawa salt for his saline solution. Um, and he doesn't know about Okinawa, you know, by personal experience, but he's been to Japan's mainland uh, throughout uh, Honshu and he really remember, has vivid memories of bamboo forests. So he actually made a bamboo infused uh, sake to be a layer uh, into the cocktail, which is really kind of modeled after oh, wow. a Vesper. Um, so it's, it's a really uh, honest and and real interpretation of awamori and japanese uh culture and experience so he really surprised us all it was uh unanimous um and uh and yeah it was it was a great drink which i had more than one of very yeah. very good very good oh that's yeah. excellent that's excellent that's super exciting i just i i i feel nothing but hope and potential for just Aomori as a category. And so it's so exciting just to hear that these things are happening and that yeah, you guys I mean, are out doing before, stuff like this. It's That's so great. I mean, the night before, the Taste Wars was being held in Valencia, in Spain. Wow. So it's just amazing that like they've, yeah, I mean, they're slowly getting there, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, and uh, I've been importing that that Aomori now for, for three years. And and honestly, it's not like every bar is stocking it. It's it's quite expensive due to Hong Kong's uh, taxation laws and the fact that uh, it's over thirty percent alcohol. But with all of that being said, um, it is it is definitely gaining traction, and I'm excited to be a part of that movement. Cool, great, yeah. It was it was really neat watching that launch and sort of. I mean, there was there was an energy behind that brand specifically that really felt like it had the the potential to 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 have an impact and to actually yes you know um find a presence you know and so it's been um yeah I mean, obviously the last few years have been you know tough in more ways than one you know for for a yeah. lot of folks everywhere but like just yeah i've it's it's great to hear that those activities are still going on and that um great great beverages and and good things are coming from it that's awesome that's really great. I kind of jumped right into a little bit of an aside there because you said Awamori and I, I couldn't help myself. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I introduced you very simply, um, but I feel like it's worth taking a moment to to kind of let our listeners know, um, or I guess give them a better idea as to the depth and breadth of the activities um, that you're involved in or have been involved in, um, just to kind of give them a better idea as to who I'm talking to. And like I said, at the start of the show, I was hoping we would do this, you know, a long time ago. It was one of those things that I just sort of assumed 
we would cross paths in Japan or Hong Kong because I prefer to do these things in person if if and whenever possible. And you know, it just didn't work out for one reason or another. And my goodness, now I had to I had to go all the way to Arkansas in order to give you a call in Hong Kong so we could do this. So I'm, I'm glad to, we finally get to do this. But I have to marvel at the irony. Um, right. It's, it's pretty. It's pretty incredible. That, it's like, kind of. It's kind of absurd, having... really. It's kind of absurd, really. But it's. It's fine. We. We got there in the end. So exactly. It's, exactly. It's good. It's good. Everybody wins. Um. Yeah. So obviously, um, co-founder of Sake Central, which is you know a hub for sake and related beverage sales culture education platform in Hong Kong. You guys have obviously become an absolute pillar there. Um, you co-founded. Uh, Sunday's distribution um, it, based out of Hong Kong, as well as a Japan-based Kura Collective, which is distribution on the Japan side, if I'm not mistaken. And export. And export, right. Um, and then Sunday Spirits, which we'll talk more about, because I think that probably has a lot to do with, for example, what you are just mentioning with the UQ1429 and, and all that good stuff. Between 2019 and 2021, apparently you helped to open and or produce um, a sake retail shop bar place called Sake Ten, um, Awa Awa, which was focusing on Okinawan food and bar service, um, a place called Kiosk, modeled after one of the many kiosks that you see in at the platforms and all the train stations in Japan, which I think is a brilliant idea. Um, you've got a tokenized sake in the works to be sold through crypto or some something, um, which we'll have <laughs> I'm curious to learn about. You start anything in something in Singapore, Shikomi. Um, I've heard you're trying to work on something in Berlin, which might be happening in your future. Um, <laughs> you know, I we could talk about all of it to try and do justice to all of these. It would probably take like a whole year's worth of episodes. So, you know, we, we won't get into maybe all of these in a lot of detail today, but I just, I always kind of marvel at the, the depth and breadth of which you're able to, you know, just keep doing all these things. And how do you choose what to work on? I mean, with all of these things, what's, what's, uh, what, what drives you? Well, sake drives me for sure, yeah. and and highballs, and uh, the people that make them, <laughs> the bartenders, and the the manufacturers, the yeah. producers. Um, and Japan drives me as as a place and as just kind of a almost a a way of of thinking and being. It's it's inspiring to me um, the effort that people put into everything they do, and and I don't have the uh, ability or patience or or skill to do many of these things that inspire me. So instead, I try to share what they're doing with as many people as I can in all of the places that they can't reach. Um, and I guess that's a one way of looking at it. And the other way of looking at it is that, um, you know, I started these companies um, because really specifically, I wanted to know how it worked. Yeah. Um, and I knew that I might not have the the background of the admin office finance side, but what I do have is the ability to uh, to make something real and to create a brand or a concept or a project that that people would hopefully be interested in and that I, I would be confident enough to get behind it and get others behind it. And uh, this pursuit of 
wanting to know how things worked individually, I think became the, the mission statement for my personal end goal. So of course, each business has its own kind of mission statement, but my goal is really to make a positive impact on the way people understand and interact with Japanese uh, food culture. And, you know, food is a very general term and really it's leading with sake and shochu. Um, and, uh, but then it's about, it leads all the way back to food and how people interact and enjoy food in Japan and Japanese food outside of Japan. Um, and, uh, and so starting all these companies is, uh, part of my, my goal to which I am not there yet, but I feel that I'm, I will, I will get there one day. Um, and this goal is to just basically create all the links in the chain and join the links together. I think right now I've created most of the links, but they're not all yeah. connected. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, you know, to be clear, I have no interest of making any effort, uh, not that I'd be successful, but I have no interest regardless to try and monopolize anything. I just want to make a positive impact on all of it. And I want to help people to do the same as me and give them tools based on my networks or experiences to, to do that. Yeah. Um, so that's why I needed to start my own export company. Um, I still buy from other exporters. That's why I needed to start my own distribution company. I still work with other distributors um, yeah. and, and so on. And Sake Central, you know, I, even though it's, it's a dining on-premise restaurant, Sake Bar retail space, you know, I still do pop-ups all over the world. And, you know, it's not for any specific gain other than to just help and support and, and be there. Yeah. Um, the project in Berlin is a consultancy. So I do, you know, aside from the brands and, the, and, you know, the companies that have different functions, I do a lot of consultancy, which usually includes building a sake and or cocktail program, some sort of concept behind it. Um, if it is cocktails, it's very simple. I'm not uh, like a molecular mixologist by any stretch, but I, I worship the highball um, in its <laughs> simplicity and in the choice of glassware and the way the ice is, is selected and cut and the type of soda you use and temperature of everything and the ritual of it. So those are the things that I promote. Um, yeah, I don't have the, the depth. There's a, there's a running joke in yeah. my, in my community that I'm not allowed to create any cocktails with more than three ingredients and, <laughs> and ice is one of them. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I usually am not, not allowed to do too much. Um, but it's more about showing people why, like, why do you go to these dark, tiny bars in Tokyo and just drink a whiskey soda? Like, why would you travel across the world yeah. to have a whiskey soda in a glass with ice? Like, can't you just do that in Arkansas? Yeah. Right. But like, and, and on one sense you can, but like, if you ask the bartender in another part of the world, why this whiskey soda is special, they're going to be like, I don't know, the ice machines over there and the sodas from the fountain and and you know this is the whiskey that we have on hand you know and then you ask somebody in japan about why they chose everything and they're going to talk to you for 20 minutes about the the where the glass is made and usually they make their own ice for example or so all of those things and it's just highballs you know we're not even talking about sake you yeah sake breweries and you see the way people dedicate their 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 lives and their time I mean, it's probably harder than working at Noma, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Know, <laughs> but we don't, we don't talk about that, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, it's yeah. a lot of time and dedication just to make one tank of sake, whether it's uh, you know, for competition or, uh, you know, it's futsushu for 
for your, you know, you're bottling thousands and thousands of bottles in one batch, but it's still hard. Yeah. It's still complex. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point. It's, you know, there, there's the what, you know, there's the liquid that goes into the glasses, but at the end of the day, it's the why, right? Like why, yeah. why, why do you choose this? Yeah. Why do you go out and go to that place and spend that time and on that money and, and, or whatever, like it's, and I, I feel like there's something in sake and the periphery of sake where there's maybe not a defined answer to that question, but there's some sort of shared experience in that why that can be, that can gradually be shared irrespective yeah. of, of, you know, country or community or, you know, background that there there's there there's a there's a force for for good or betterment or something i don't know what the word is yes. so, something in there right and it's yeah when you go to japan and you visit a sake brewery um you just can't help but want to tell somebody what you saw because there's you know there's beer making and there's wine making and they're both very special but you know for the for the most part if you want to see sake making you have to go to Japan. And of course, now this is changing in many ways, but the, you know, the process and, and the, the production, the manufacturing of sake is being exported. And I think for good reason, but going to where it all started is like, I mean, it would be like, you'd have to go to, uh, what do you call it? You'd have to go to, you'd have to go to a monastery to find monks brewing, you know, Trappist beer yeah i feel like to feel that same kind of like some, ritual uh, some sort of a, yeah relative a, equivalent or or something yeah. like that yeah absolutely 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 no it's great it's, it's all right i kind of took us off on a tangent right right away but yeah I, I tend to do that but it's just yeah no it's uh tonight it's just kind of nice to hear to hear individuals speak to that that a bit and you're obviously the the nature of your work and where it's taking you in in, in a great position to to share that so it's just really i mean it's just really nice nice to hear i think it's a it's a message that's that's worth being repeated and 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 hearing yeah. again and again from um from from good from good individuals um I'm going to take a step back here for just a second. Let's, you know, we, we're not going to be able to probably dig super deep into everything, but I do want to touch upon a couple of the um, activities of yours that I kind of rattled off here at the start, um, just because I think it's worth everybody sort of understanding what they are and why. I guess we'll start with Sake Central, because that's probably the one that's most front and center to everybody and probably where a lot of folks would know you from or associate you with, because it's consumer facing um and it's like i said it's uh, even from afar i can tell it's become a pillar of the you know world of sake in, in in hong kong as far as you know where you go for access to good things and good experiences and 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 strong community and new opportunities and events and all these other things um so why don't you i guess just real briefly just tell sort of the the concept behind sake central and sort of where how that came about and sort of what it looks like in 2023 now Sure. Um, it's a good question because I'm glad I can still talk about it. Um, COVID was really hard for everybody. Um, it was really hard for Sake Central, um, you know, largely because, you know, along with other restaurants in Hong Kong, we weren't allowed to really operate. Um, and uh, we weren't allowed to serve dinner. 
we had to be, there were times where we were on full lockdown for a moment. There were times where we had to close at 6 p.m. It also meant that other people weren't buying. And yes, people were drinking some sake at home, but uh, in Hong Kong, much like the rest of the world, I feel like home sake drinking is one of the more challenging uh, markets, unless you're in a place with Japanese people. And even then, honestly, they still might be buying wine and, and whatnot. Yeah. So uh, I'm glad I can still speak about Sake Central today. We started in 2017. Uh, I was put together uh, with namely one uh, Japanese partner named uh, Takashi Endo. And he was uh, suggested and recommended by Masatoshi Sakane, who's one of my mentors and dear friends. Many people in the sake industry all over the world have seen him because he worked for, I mean, first for Suntory in Germany and Japan, and then came to Hong Kong, worked for a company called JFC, which is one of the global yeah. Japanese food distributors. And then he took a role with Jetro and Jay Fudo um, yep. as, a, as a very senior retired advisor. <laughs> he is like a grandpa's grandpa, um, <laughs> but he, he really cares about promoting uh, sake and shochu culture. And so he advises the Japanese government now on all sorts of global projects. So, yeah. you know, people that love sake may bump into him everywhere yeah. somehow. Yeah. Um, so this man is a mentor to me and he told me to work with Endosan. And without uh, any second thought, I said, let's do it. He said, this is where you're going to do it. It's a heritage building uh, called PMQ in Hong Kong. So we started, um, we offer uh, education in collaboration with Deborah Mayberg, as, as, I, as I teach WSET when I can. We offer uh, retail B2C. Uh, we offer B2B uh, to businesses. Uh, so it's a second distribution company of mine in Hong Kong. Um, we do on-premise dining. Before COVID, we did a ton of pop-ups and collaborations, bringing in people from all over the world, Italy, Korea, Canada, um, and of course, Japan. And uh, and that's hopefully starting up again now that travel routes are, are opening up. Yeah. Uh, we do, uh, you know, we do a lot of different kind of promotion events with people like Meiji Chocolate, um, mm. the Nagano Prefecture, uh, you know, we, we do retail installations and pop-ups and that's where you might see the Sake 10 brand nowadays. Um, we've turned that into a retail okay. uh, presence. Cool. So it's a lot um, and it's hard to, to say in one breath, but I think the timing of, of speaking to you and asking this question is one important thing to share. And uh, that is that uh, for a number of, of reasons, I've taken over as the interim CEO of Sake Central. And so this is a massive role and opportunity and I could, you know, say nothing and it could just happen or I could tell you because it's yeah. fresh news and, oh, and I that's know amazing. That saying it out loud means there's more pressure on myself. <laughs> but, uh, Makes it I real. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, congratulations. And, uh, thank you very much. Um, it's, uh, it's a big responsibility. It's not one that I want for the long term because I think that uh, we need to find a CEO who is dedicated, you know, to 100% of one business and yeah. probably a CEO that doesn't love sake as much as I do, because yeah, I would yeah, yeah. put a lot of things on the line for something very arbitrary if it's related to helping a sake yeah. brewery and it yeah, might not yeah, be yeah. in the best interest of the business. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, you know, people that know me know I'm a passionate person, so I might think that way, but I can help to clean up a lot of things and, 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 uh, and, put us on a, on a great path. And, you know, I want to hand this business to a, a new CEO on a silver platter, somebody 
who, uh, like I say, wants to run a business, regardless if it's a sake business or not, they want to run a business. And I think we, that's what we do in, in this industry. We often get really attached to the, the concept and the fantasy and the, the dream that we're living, that we're doing, but we forget sometimes that it's like, it's a real business. So you need yeah. to treat it like you're yeah. running, you know, like, you know, like a coffee shop or you're running a, a printing house or a soap yeah. manufacturer. Like yeah, you have absolutely. to like really treat it like yeah. a real business, regardless of what the yeah. product is. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's if, hard. If, if, it, if it doesn't, if it doesn't live, neither do any of the other things that pass exactly. through it. Right. You know, and it's, but it's exactly. hard. It is, it's a challenge to remain, to be subjective. Right. In those scenarios yeah. when you're, when you're so close to, you know, so many of like, I mean, especially like yourself, so close to so many of the producers and the people and things like that. Yeah. And you're, you're able to, to see the human side of it. Yeah. You know, in in so many in so many regards. So that's I don't I don't envy that challenge, but I'm uh, that you're up against. But I it's at the same time it's it's super exciting that you're that you're have that opportunity or able to do that because that's you know, I mean it's all you know like you said interim. So whether that's you know six months or three years or whatever as you know, long as see, it takes as long as yeah. it takes right. But regardless, it'll end up being you know one more thing like you said we we're kind of mentioning earlier so that you know you'll know what it means to do that right and then that will be yeah, something absolutely. else you know and that you will then be able to kind of piece together in the in the link in the chain and be able to you know leverage you know going down the road is that 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 skill and that understanding so that's fantastic that's really really exciting so Thank what's you. so that's okay so 2023 is is the year of elliot faber at, at, at sake central <laughs> yeah i guess so um cool. and uh you know i'll still have my other responsibilities and my other projects, but uh, yeah, really just taking care of Sake Central is going to be a main focus. Um, and, uh, and you know, so we'll continue to have our collaborations, our events, our special projects, continue our B2B. Um, I've got Mateo, uh, who is one of the co-founders as well. Um, he is uh, Italian and he, I think you knew him before I did even maybe. Matteo and I and, go, uh, go, go back. Yeah. Yeah. Good guy. I got to get him on us. here these days. That's great. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. He's still with us and going to help with kind of the marketing and direction. So in general, yeah. like a, a good, healthy reshuffling. Um, so I'm really motivated and excited for, for what's coming up for Sake Central this year. Um, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a big year for us. Very cool. Very cool. But you're back to, I mean, you guys are more or less back to, for lack of a better word, business as usual. Like there aren't, yeah, it's, it's you're, getting you're, there. you're it's, able it's, to do the things that you're setting out to do. The Definitely. Yeah. Cool. Definitely. So that's, that's a very lucky thing. Yeah. Very cool. So blessed every day. Um, so that's Sake Central. Um, Great. I guess yeah yeah tell tell me a little about Sunday Spirits now let's let let's do that one because that is obviously as the the name suggests as I imagine you're you're focusing on spirits and so and I said we talk about sake a lot on this show but we are massive advocates for shochu aomori and all those things um, I imagine this might go above and beyond that as well too into po possibly other categories so tell tell us a little bit about what Sunday Spirits is and what you on what that entails well so back uh when i was part of the team that opened yardbird and ronin yardbird hong kong and ronin uh i we started we started together a, a little sandwich shop called sunday's grocery and we were like a bodega 
um, where we you could come and you get soup and a sandwich, but we had bottles to go and we had weird like mezcal, natural wines back in like 2014, where it wasn't such a big thing in Hong Kong. Um, had a huge selection of Japanese whiskey, some shochu. And so we would hang out, but it was all the same people that were working in the restaurants. We were working in the shop. So we were really burnt out. Um, <laughs> I bet. <laughs> and, uh, and eventually, uh, you know, the landlord raised the rent and we just knew that this kind of shop wasn't sustainable for us in our current form um, as, as a team. And uh, so we, we closed that shop and I turned it into two separate uh, brands with the co-founders, uh, you know, of Sunday's Grocery and uh, the founders of, of Yardbird and Ronin. So we turned one into a distribution company, which is Sunday's Distro. We we import and distribute everything from all over the world, from agave spirits to European wines and glassware from Japan and Japanese wines, and of course, Nihonshu and uh, Awamori, Shochu, a whole bunch of stuff. And then uh, a separate company was formed called Sunday Spirits. And Sunday Spirits is where we make our own stuff. So okay. um, sake does fall into the general company name of Sunday's Spirits, but the sake we make is in very low volume and really largely for the Hong Kong market. Okay. It's in uh, collaboration with a brewery called Ibaraki Shuzo, which okay. confusingly is located in Hyogo Prefecture, <laughs> um, even though they're named, the family name is, is similar to a, another prefecture uh, in Japan. Yeah. Uh, and what we got to do with them was basically create our own bottle label and uh, I got to work with the the owner of the the brewery or the the toji about a profile, um, and so we created kind of a certain style that I wanted uh, to fall under the Sunday's name, cool. and so they make that for us regularly. Um, it's a very straightforward jinmaishu. It's made from uh, hanakobo, a yeast from a mm-hmm. flower, white flower called gekaibijin. Um, it's it's in a way it's very straightforward, but it's exactly what we wanted. So to make exactly what we wanted, it's not the cheapest uh, product, even though it's a simple product. Yeah. Um, it's everything from the design to the actual sake that we make is a little bit premium. So it's not the most realistic sake to be shipping all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so we sell it a little bit in Japan and in Hong Kong. And yeah. uh, th- then we have our coffee shochu, which is a recipe that we developed together in uh, Yardbird, Hong Kong. Uh, and uh, we ended up going to Japan and getting a friend to help us make it. So in the spirit of making everything as complicated as possible, um, <laughs> we went to a sake maker. We asked him to buy kome shochu from uh, Sengetsu, the Sengetsu Kawabe kome um, shochu. Uh, we asked, uh, I sourced a certain type of rock sugar and said, please buy this sugar, uh, Japanese sugar. And we found a coffee roaster in Kobe which thankfully is not too far away from the brewery who makes this for us. They're called Tsubosaka, also in uh, Hyogo Prefecture. And uh, we showed them how to make it. So this sake brewery, which has no affiliation with the coffee shochu product itself, is just a friend making coffee shochu for us. Um, and uh, it's it's insane. It doesn't make any sense. And the fact that we still make it is ridiculous. Yeah. But, uh, you know, every oh, time okay. we look to streamline it, it's it's the investment and the time to to do it is just not worth it yeah and so uh yeah we just you know a big shout out to uh ibaraki-san and uh tsubo tsubosaka-san for helping us all these years i mean it's been almost i mean over half a decade anyways uh that they've been just 
helping us make these small batch products. But that's when Sunday Spirits was in its inception. Um, and then we got a little bit of funding and we became a little bit more aggressive, but the product we wanted to lead with was actually whiskey. Okay. So that's where I contacted uh, a friend who is featured in the in my sake book. Mm -hmm. um, and this is the, the Yamaguchi family based in Fukushima. Again, another okay. thing <laughs> of prefecture Keep names. Keep it real streamlined um, and, real, and real easy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, Sasunokawa Shuzo is located in Fukushima in Koryama. And, uh, and the Yamaguchi family has been making sake there uh, for 275 years plus. And they make uh, shochu and they also make whiskey. And uh, a little known story, which is becoming more public knowledge, is that they have a very uh, special and specific relationship with Ichiro Akuto, who is the, the man behind, uh, you know, selling his father, his grandfather's famous Hanyu whiskey, and, uh, and of course, building the Chichibu distillery and making what is probably the most iconic modern Japanese whiskey, yeah. I would say. Oh, amazing. And uh and so he actually kind of guides them. And so in turn, I've got a little like a uh, sprinkle of his magic in our whiskey as well. Um, the whiskey is branded as a world whiskey. It's uh, made in Japan, but we collect whiskey from all over the world. Uh, assemble it in Japan at Koryama at the distillery with some Japanese whiskey. And we blend it. We do further aging as necessary. And we then uh, dilute it and, and bottle it. And uh, and it's authentically Japanese, even though it's uh, you know not uh, made from 100% Japanese distilled uh, alcohol. Okay. And uh, luckily, this is thanks to Akuto-san. I learned very early on the difference between Japanese whiskey and world whiskey. So although it's a bit of a controversy these days, I'm very mm -hmm. confident and comfortable to kind of navigate those waters when people ask questions. Mm. Um, and so now Sunday's whiskey in its current form is sold in, I guess, 10, 10 to 12 countries. Uh, it's all over the U.S., thanks to uh, fellow Sake Samurai, Monica Samuels. And, oh, great. Uh, oh, cool. Connections. She is our distributor uh, or importer uh, in, in the U.S. And it's definitely not been easy for us because especially, you know, we needed to keep going during COVID and Japan was shut down. And we, you know, yeah. we're still, even though we're like medium or like we're still like small, to medium scale for our whiskey production, uh, you know, it's still, it's, it's, it's complicated. And Monica has been extremely patient. So she deserves a shout out on today's podcast as yeah, well. Amazing. Shout yeah. out Monica. There you go. Excellent. She deserves it. Oh, very cool. Yeah, absolutely. So if you Google Sunday's whiskey in the U S you will probably be able to find a place. I mean, wine, wine.com sells it as, as one, okay. um, which is a major online retailer. And then there's lots of different bars and restaurants throughout the, the country yeah. that have it. So very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Oh, that's amazing. That's fantastic. So that's wow. So then, so we've got the distribution, we've got the original label product development and creation, all that stuff in there. Where does Kura Collective then fit into this scenario? Well, um, I guess when, to to go into it when when Yardbird Hong Kong first opened, which you know for anybody that doesn't know Yardbird Hong Kong, it's kind of my foundation and my roots in in my career as it is today. Mm -hmm. The the founders Matt Abergell and Lindsay Jang are our family to me. I've actually known 
the chef Matt uh, since I was six years old. Um, oh, wow. So we go way, way back. Yeah, we're all from Canada, actually. So in Canada, okay. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, all from Calgary, uh, Calgary and, and Edmonton. Uh, Lindsay's from Edmonton, but uh, but yeah, we're all from that kind of part of the world. And they went out to Hong Kong and invited me to come work on the beverage program at their restaurant, and that is kind of where everything started for me. And that was back in 2011. So, um, you know, the, the reason I'm mentioning that is because in building this beverage program, I was always trying to find the most interesting and weird and rare stuff. I would, you know, talk to different wineries and I would say, okay, on your next shipment, you know, I know you also make, you know, like a Cabernet Franc, for example. And so please send me, you know, some Cabernet Franc along with all the other stuff. And that would eventually get exclusivity of this Cabernet Franc, you know, from, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't have to pay an arm and a leg to get it here. Um, and then likewise with sake, I would, I would start to discover interesting sake breweries and makers. And I'd be trying to get my hands on stuff. And, uh, and I realized that it's, you can't just call the sake brewery and say, Hey, can I have this? Mm-hmm. And you can ask your local importer and distributor, and they might not have an answer for ages and ages. So yeah. I start, I tried to understand why is it so hard for me to get sake when I can get a wine, like no problem. Why is it hard for me to get a, a very specific release or type of sake and i discovered that a lot of it has to do with the the licensing required to move sake out of japan Mm. um so i got deeper into the world of of export and started to understand the relationships that i already had with people a little more clearly because even Mm. though i was like buying from somebody i didn't really know what their connection to the brewery was yeah um and i started to understand that in some cases it's really uh, like I've been paying a middleman, which on one hand is okay, but on the other hand, like if I'm trying to get something in for a certain price, why won't the brewery sell it directly to mm. me? And yeah. then I started to understand the 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 dark and twisted world of all of these relationships, and yeah. you know, and and uh, you know, especially as a foreigner, um, you know, trying to do business, uh, you know, with different. Japanese companies, you know, they might not know me, they might not trust me. And, and it's all rightly so. Like I, yeah. I, I, I understand uh, kind of why it might not be so easy to just sell to Elliot from Canada, you know, like, why would they do that? But then, you know, as, as the restaurant became more popular uh, and I started to, you know, get to know a lot of the breweries, I realized that maybe I had a chance in some cases, not all cases. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also, you know, along with my peers, there were other people who were um, foreigners working in the sake industry, which like clearly like they had that one brewery would have been their turf, you know, yeah. already for 10 years. So it's like yeah. back off. You can't, yeah. like, you definitely yep. cannot talk to those yep. people can't touch about that buying sake. Yeah. yeah. And so you kind of learn to navigate this whole other world that's happening in the sake industry that most people don't really know about. Um, but I definitely saw an opportunity for me to create my own unique connections and my own relationships. And, and I just wanted to understand like what the process was. Yeah. So then I, I was able to connect with, uh, Kiki Sakeshi called, uh, Kumiko Hitomi. Um, she, for, for anybody who goes to secret bars, secret sake bars in Tokyo, um, there's a really cool one called Sake Bar O. Um, they say you need an NFT membership, but you can also just call me and i'll i'll say <laughs> there, um, there and, you go uh, you, you heard it here you're, that's a promise your yeah. yeah your your email or your inst- your instagram message says they're yeah. just gonna be blowing up after this one here now so. <laughs> yeah. yeah 
So, um, so yeah, but it is, uh, so she uh, takes care of that bar. She's a graphic designer. Uh, she is, uh, she speaks English fully. She went to school in New York. Um, and uh, so very easy for me to communicate with. And we started Crow Collective together okay. um, in an effort to understand this part of the business. So um, we do consulting for breweries, help them to gain some uh, some insight into how things work overseas. Uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes a brewery's dream is just to um, have an event uh, in a Michelin star restaurant in New York, and yeah. we might be able to facilitate that for them. Yeah. Or sometimes they just want to, you know, be at a trade show in, uh, you know, in Europe, and we might be able to facilitate that for them. Um, so yeah, we, we give insight and we also do OEM projects for different people. And, uh, most importantly, we export their sake, um, to, mm -hmm. to some different markets around the world. Yeah. Very cool. So, I mean, well, that's, that's, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, that's, that's pretty far reaching. You're talking about doing something in Europe, doing, you know, exporting to different areas. I mean, but you're, you're in Hong Kong, your partner's in Japan and obviously all your other operations are generally, generally based in, in, uh, in Hong Kong. But I mean, that's. That's a m massive undertaking. It's wow. been pretty mom and pop <laughs> for the for the first few years. I mean, we established right after Sake Central was founded, so around 2018. Um, but our team is growing. We've added two uh, people to the team, and uh, and we are continuing to just try to get better. Yeah, and try to do more. Uh, yeah, and so the uh, the good news about this is that there's often a lot of overlap. Um, you know, it's, it's always challenging, especially to partners, um, to separate the, the opportunity from the conflict, because, uh, you know, I often have to explain myself, you know, who's getting more from what, you know, and in my head, uh, you know, it's, it's just part of that greater good, but, you know, you always have partners that you need to answer to. It's still a business at the end of the day. What I'm trying to do now is I'm just trying to make things more clear. Um, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to let everybody know this is the service that this company does, and this is how they're compensated and they're needed. And it might make sense to use this export company, and it might make sense to, you know, use a different one. For example, you know, if you want me to send two cases of Sake X to you in the U.S., mm -hmm. you know, my export company can do it. And there's other uh, companies that you know, they will only do it if you're taking 30 cases. Yeah. And, you know, and you might need to wait a little longer uh, and the process might not be perfect if you do it with me, but you're mm. going to get those two cases. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, we're, we're very small scale when it comes to export. Um, but just understanding the industry, I think, is, is really important for people that want to really, uh, that want to make a difference in it. Oh, very cool. Very. I mean, that's it's it's very it's very empowering, right? I mean, just I mean, it's interesting. I, I and I feel like that's kind of a through line for all the things you've been sort of describing. Is it's your it's more than anything. It's like you're finding ways in which you can empower people, whether it's the people on the ground that are selling it, or whether it's the producer or those different areas. Yeah. I mean, any any corner of this business in some in some capacity is is doing that. But it just it feels like in, intrinsically these were all things that were sort of built on some sort of uh, on a on the sort of shared theme of sort of sort of empowerment and and making making possibilities for you know for people who honest to goodness like truly want to be involved you know and, and and make a difference so that's really cool that's really cool i guess so kind of while we're talking about you know the market or the nature of the market i, I guess it's worth sort of touching upon 
the Hong Kong market, since that is where you are at and where I imagine you're spending a majority of your time and, and energy and resources and all those things, because you're you're staring at it every, every single day. So with all of these sort of links in the chain, whether it's Kura Collective or Sunday Spirit and Sanke Central and all these things, obviously they're separate entities, but these are all things that obviously you can draw from in terms of in terms of resources and knowledge and all these things looking at sort of where the hong kong market is right now in terms of you know i guess we'll we'll, we'll kind of focus on maybe sake and shochu um specifically but how does that then play out in the market so for my i mean what i guess what i understand i haven't been to hong kong in in too long it's been i, I don't even know it's probably been seven or eight years maybe since i've been there and um I, I don't have a good feeling personally for what is happening. I only I only see the numbers. And from the outside, um, if you're looking at it from just about anywhere else, it sounds kind of like a dream. Just looking at it, it's like they've got all the sake and it's all in great shape. And there's all these sellers. And it just sounds it sounds like like this like sake heaven for, you know, everybody who is in a another country that's not Japan that wants access to sake. So it sounds like this, you know, beautiful, beautiful place. Um, but obviously you needed all of these tools and all these things in order to, you know, to play and work within there. I guess I'm just sort of curious, what is what does that market look like now in in reality as somebody who's having to navigate all those all those um aspects of the industry? Well, in a way, we definitely open a lot of bottles. Well, not in a way. I mean, the fact is we open a lot of bottles of sake here in Hong Kong, especially considering how small this uh, special administrative region is. Um, and, uh, and you know, I think that uh, it's, it's important to know that you don't need a license to import sake in Hong Kong or wine for that matter. Yeah. So it's a dream in the sense that everybody can get everything but it's a nightmare for a distributor yeah. because uh, you can order the same thing to your door that I'm trying to sell to you as a import distribution business. Uh, if you're a restaurant, you can, you can buy from me or you can order it directly from Japan. Of course, once you order from Japan, it gets complicated because then you need to consider the exporter. But if you're a Japanese restaurant in Hong Kong, and your family is living in Yokohama, yeah. you're getting cases sent to you all the time. Yeah. And yeah. you're basically saving like 20, 20 to 40% on top of what other people are paying. Yeah, um, sure. So I mean, like, so it's amazing because we can get everything, but because we can get everything, there's very little control over who the seller is and where the product actually came from. Yeah. So I run into situations all the time where I'm sending photos to brewery owners or to exporters, and I'm saying, did you know this is in Hong Kong? And they have yeah. no idea. And in another market, that would be like, I feel like that would be, or in another industry, mm. that would probably be very frustrating yeah. um, and very, um, uh, it, it would be something you'd want to get to the bottom of. But for some reason, uh, in Japan, like people don't seem to really it's almost like a, if you can't beat them, join them thing. And everybody wants to sell bottles. And so we just got to sell bottles. And, you know, yes, I want you to be my my distributor. But no, you 
you may not be exclusive or even though I tell you you're exclusive, chances are if we become popular and you're not working fast enough, then the sake is going to pop up in Hong Kong for, from some other place. And I may or may not know how it got there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a chat, it's a unique challenge. Um, and, uh, you know, and then there's always the, uh, there's always the part about, uh, people in Hong Kong or in China or Taiwan or in Singapore, for example, to name a few, um, being able to read certain parts of kanji, but not all of it, and kind of making this uh, connection between the the characters for Junmai Dai Ginjo and the price point and mm. assuming that it must be better because it appears to be premium by by name, by category. Um, and, and so that's actually my biggest passion is to show people one by one that that's just not the case. Um, and of course, this is, if it's a Junmai Daiginjo, it's not a worse sake or a better sake. It's just a, it's a, a different sake. It's a different style. sake. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it and it may or may not taste how you think it's going to taste. It may or may not taste how that category is supposed to taste. And I know there's, there's reforms and changes coming uh, eventually, but in the meantime, there's a lot of misconception to undo um and so uh so i think those are the two biggest challenges in hong kong is just the fact that the sake can come from anywhere at any time um you know although the distribution relationship and business is so critical at the same time and then of course just the way that uh the categories uh within tokutei shoshu are all mm. interpreted yeah um you know because actually that is a premium sake category <laughs> Yeah, that, yeah, like, yeah, that, yeah, you know what I mean. Totally in and of itself, yeah. I mean, I, my my Japanese is not is not the strongest, but like I mean, I do know that that means that it's a special category. It's yeah. a top. It's the it's yeah. It's toku, right? Yeah, I mean, so anything within there by and right, they're all and they're all lumped be, together, right? And, and they're, they're all lumped together, together in their own category, right? right? But one is like better of the special. <laughs> yeah, I right? said it's 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 something yeah. we we get into occasionally on here as well too. I think the one of the biggest mistakes is what I, I think initially it was depicted like as a pyramid in a way, almost yeah. you know when yeah. it actually should have been more of a a, a horizontal or more you know, yeah. linear, linear sure. sort of, you know, representation, you know, there are all these things that can live alongside one each, one another in greatness as, as opposed to, yeah. you know, I don't know, but no, that, I mean, but it's, that's, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just so, it's fascinating because it's, I, I just think that it's obviously it's so different. Jesus, it's so, it's so different, right? I mean, as, as a business, I can only imagine how incredibly challenging it is. I mean, obviously, you know, having clear, you know, distinctions with distribution and things here in the U.S. Obviously, we've got our own unique challenges. We've got, we might as well be dealing with 50 different countries here. So that's a whole nother, yeah, it's different, like the you know, yeah it's, <laughs> yeah, it's the complete opposite, but it's, which comes with its own challenges. But like, it's just, I think, just think so many places in the world, like can't even imagine a world where sake is just available. Like it's, it's everywhere here. It's, it's everywhere. Yeah. I mean, does that lead to a, I mean, like you said, there's obviously need for education or a better understanding as to what's actually in those bottles in order to I don't know, maybe build or develop the culture. But I mean, does that lead to interesting or opportunities to education maybe that are unique there? Of course. To, to other parts yeah, of the, the world? The I mean, just for... the sheer access. Yeah. And it's and huge. buying power, maybe. Education. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Buying power, access. Um, 
you know, you have uh, Masumi, Sela Masumi, which is, uh, you know, it's a, a company that, you know, to be honest, I'm not sure the, the full structure of the business, but I know that Miyasaka family uh, in Nagano is one of the main principals. You have the, uh, the Sohomare Dewazakura families behind it as well. And this company is selling a lot of sake in uh, Hong Kong and China specifically that I know of. And, uh, you know, and that was their move. They realized that it's a complex market. We need to have our own distribution channel and we can choose to sell to other distributors as well. But we will at least have, I mean, they did the what I did, but just in the other direction. I mean, their makers yeah. wanted to understand how sake yeah. moves around once it's exported. Yeah. And so they started a company, uh, a group of them. There's, there's kind of 12 working together, I think. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but you know, that's an example. Yeah. Um, and some retailers, they start their own, uh, import companies and distribution companies that service their retail supermarkets, um, as well as does B2B business. So it works in all sorts of directions. Um, and yeah, and the opportunities are, are crazy. So even though I say it's a challenge, it's why I, I have so much work. Here. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it's, it's an opportunity, you know, at the same time. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Oh, that's wild. In the when you are sort of listing off um, parts of the globe that ha are sort of unique markets in the, this way, you mentioned Singapore. Um, Shikomi is that is that is that Shikomi. the name of this this new this new endeavor of yours? Yes. Tell, uh, tell me what Shikomi. is Shikomi and and why Singapore. So uh, last year, I was in Singapore for three months with my wife. Uh, she was pregnant at the time. And, uh, and we were, uh, I was consulting and she was hanging out. She used to live in Singapore. So she loves that city. And, uh, you know, it was originally a one month consultancy and then it became three months. And then finally, uh, you know, my wife was already like 34 weeks pregnant. So we needed to get back to Hong Kong to have the baby. Um, unfortunately, days leading up to the flight, my wife got COVID um, and, you know, she's she's fine and baby's fine. And so we're, we're blessed and happy for that. But um, it meant that we couldn't return to Hong Kong because at that time you needed to provide a negative PCR test and, and COVID it usually stays in your system for 10 to 20 days anyways. So um, by that time, she would have been over the limit for flying. Um, I mean, the timing was just the, the worst timing. Um, and then of course I got COVID eventually after that. Um, and, uh, and, and even if somehow we got into Hong Kong, it, it was a very scary time because people were being separated, put into all, you know, different types of uh, uh, sort of uh, quarantine centers. And so we ended up having the baby in Malaysia. Okay. And, oh uh, which, which worked. Yeah, my wife is Malaysian, so that helped. Uh, okay. Shout out to Tiffany Nikoni um, <laughs> for, for always being there. For me um and uh and so we decided that uh you know we would be in the region for uh seven months instead of three months you know because we had to have yeah. a baby and yeah. raise her to some good health before we yeah. returned back to hong kong sure but long story short is that uh you know i was doing a lot of work in singapore it's a it's an hour flight so i would you know go away for one day here two days here and i was uh meeting some really interesting partners and discovering some opportunities so uh, we started Shikomi and Shikomi is uh, namely 
e-commerce uh, with a little, little bit of B2B and we are working on an app. Um, the app is not ready. It was almost ready. And then I decided it's not ready. Um, <laughs> so once we, we fully get it out there and once we promote it properly, um, I'll share more details about it. Okay. Um, and, uh, and this app is meant to be complementary to existing apps. I'm not naming any names, but I'm, I'm, you know, this is the opposite of a shout out. This is like a quiet nod, um, but to people that I respect in, in the sake industry, um, yeah. it's much like my, like sake central, much like my export company, it's meant to be complementary and, uh, to support and bring more attention to something important, which is sake education and people's ability to keep track and understand what they're drinking, find out where to drink it, all sure. those kinds of, uh, useful tools. So, uh, when the app is ready, maybe we can jump on for part two Absolutely. Of this, uh, and I'll share more details, but, absolutely. Uh, but in the meantime, Shikomi does exist as a company that does events, does e-commerce. Um, we have some huge plans and opportunities already, making great friends and partnerships in the Singapore sake industry where cool. and community. I do love uh, the sake community in Singapore. Um, they're they're a, a special and passionate bunch. Uh, and I think that yeah. Singapore, just because of its size, might be overlooked sometimes. But yeah. I think it's a really, really important market for uh for proper sake appreciation cool oh very cool oh that's really exciting that's very exciting i'll have to we'll have to get you back on here and tell us a little bit more about that when that when the time comes for sure and i said singapore is a market for proper uh sake appreciation i think the better word is that singapore is a is a great market for all-inclusive sake appreciation meaning that they're they're drinking and enjoying everything and there's all these little little cliques of people that love yeah. different types of sake and i think that's, oh, that's the great. part that really attracts me to the singapore sake market that's great that's great what is what is it do you think that that lends itself to that as opposed to making it different from hong kong i, I guess like i don't know but one answer is definitely the tax you know so people are forced to drink at different price points you know like junmai daginjo is always more expensive but when there's no tax you know it's not like that much more expensive in a place mm -hmm. like Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah once yeah. you're you're adding your taxes and duties in a place like Singapore, you know, something that, you know, might be a hundred dollars before it arrives becomes much more expensive after taxes. And you know, the 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 Junmai version, which is, you know, forty dollars mm. is still more expensive, but not that much more expensive compared to yep. the one that was a hundred dollars yeah. before it arrived. Uh so I mean that might be one thing. And the other thing is just I don't know. There's just, it's just different people. It's just different yeah. taste and different preference. I mean, yeah, I, sure. I'm Hong Kong is my, my home and I'm proud to be here. So this is not hating on, on my fellow Hong Kong sake drinkers in any way. It's just more that it's such a different scenario. Um, you know, in Singapore, you have a lot of variety, but you don't have like the, the waterfall of sake, you know, that you have in, in Hong Kong. So it's just, it's just, it's so different. Yeah, we're we're lucky Hong Kong in Hong Kong. It's 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 the best. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's funny because it's it's something I think about a lot. Is that like, obviously, you know, the the number of people and time and energy and money and resources invested just in sake and growing the sake industry in general is, you know, probably a fraction of what it is for these other massive beverage categories, whether you know beer, mm -hmm. or wine, or whiskey or something like that. So, a lot of the 
work or the groundwork that's been laid has been kind of, you know, there it's 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 hard to diversify, right? It's hard to mm-hmm. do a million different things for a million different people for or or, or millions and millions you know in, the, in mm-hmm. this case when you're looking at a global scale you know so it's we're sort of building on on the foundation of you know the hard work of the people that have come before but it, it's there's almost sort of this like shared message and shared mission that goes out but at the end of the day like i love the idea of a world where every country sake culture is vastly different from one another like yeah, in a way yeah, that's that's, cool. that's kind of the most interesting version like, of this like the long game enjoy sake this way right you know yeah. like where people actually they travel you know when they travel when they go somewhere they go out of their way to order sake and, and or drink sake there because it's you know, so uniquely represented in that market because of the people there, because of the legal, you know, these things that we see as either advantages or obstacles. And then obviously food culture and all these other things that end up shaping just very unique things to where you just have just incredibly different products in the market and incredibly different service. Like that just sounds fascinating to me like that. Yeah, it's cool. I didn't think about it that way, but I think you're right. It's like, I mean, it's just like you, every city offers its own interpretation of something of, of everything yeah right? so right? why can't Whether you it's... go to different markets and enjoy sake a certain way that might not be i mean look like you look at australia it's like the yeah. one of the most unique places to drink sake because i think that uh matt young and black market sake really yeah. created a a certain uh almost a preconceived notion of what what sake you should drink and what sake you shouldn't drink and, uh, you know, I've always found his approach to be really unique and, and he's been so successful that like, you know, when I talk to an average Australian person that I just meet randomly, um, you know, if I talk to them about sake, they're going to reference a certain style that was introduced to them from black market sake. And it's what they can yeah. drink and find yeah. in all sorts of different types of bars and restaurants all over Australia. And that's like, that's, I mean, it's, it's brilliant what he, what he did. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's makes such a difference. Just the, that, that entry point and the, the perspective, mm-hmm. you know, that's brought to it and the way it's introduced can just transform the way that, you know, that yeah. can actually grow and develop and evolve. And so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's exciting to, to, to think about. So that's cool that, I mean, that, and that's exciting too, that you'll be able to have your hands in sort of both of those things and be able to be able to play in both of those worlds with, with, with frequency. That's, that's, that's a lot of fun. That's really cool. Um, you mentioned Berlin, so yeah. So you didn't have enough to do, so you went halfway across the world. I don't know. To... Well, I mean, when you, <laughs> when you start all of these businesses, usually your money is in those businesses. So when you need money, you can't just take from the business because the business needs the money to to stay alive and feed all the, all the staff. Yeah. 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 So you know, I got to find some way to to you know get mine, and uh, and so I do a lot of consulting um i try not to say yes to everything especially these days i prefer being a dad but uh and consulting is not just for money it's a way to explore markets and understand what's going on and develop relationships with different customers but in my life my consulting is what is kind of helps me to do all the other things that i do um and uh and so the berlin project is a great one brought to me uh by people who love sunday's whiskey um and uh and passed on through through a friend uh and uh so they contacted me and they have a 
a really cool food court market kind of thing in the center of Berlin. And they're opening a speakeasy bar and they wanted the speakeasy bar to be um, Japanese and or like Asian, quote unquote. Um, and they first wanted my feedback on like what kind of direction they should take. So I helped them narrow it down and uh, into a Japanese focused uh, program. And then, uh, yeah, I've just been working with them to then take that that vision and turn it into a concept and a brand and a beverage list and sourcing their glassware. And uh, and I get to call people that I know who are importers in, in Germany. And I get to ask people, you know, who make sake that I like, you know, oh, is your sake available in Germany? And then who is it from? So it's yeah. really, a, it's a great exercise for me anyways. Um, you know, so it's it's good for me and, and it, hopefully it's good for them. The bar itself will open inside of uh of this of this food market um and will it will open in the middle of february so i'll be taking oh, my wow. daughter and my wife to berlin in february and we'll be there for two weeks to enjoy the german cold and also <laughs> february yeah. oh that's yeah. awesome oh that's super exciting gosh yeah but probably yeah. right around the time this goes on air is probably about when that'll happen happen there so be go. sure to so, yeah send me some photos send some, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, send me some info. We'll get that in out in the world. Oh, very yeah. cool. Very cool. Very cool. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I would feel I I feel it's necessary to to touch on this giant <laughs> tome that I'm holding here. Um, it would we would be remiss not to touch upon it here at, at least briefly because it's beautiful. Um, and it's come back. It was it was gone it's for back. a little while. Um I am referring to sake, um, the book, sake, uh, the history, stories, and craft of Japan's artisanal breweries. Um, I first came across this book. I was in, living in Milan at the time. Um, this appeared in front of me. I saw it and I said, finally, like somebody <laughs> captured captured this in just a really beautiful beautiful way and i went back to japan and i i found a copy and i enjoyed it um i went out and shared it um and it's been a number of years since i looked i remember going back and looking for another copy and just finding that it just didn't exist anymore <laughs> so i was like well i guess that's that's gone that's that's too bad um but it came back last year it has been re-released um i guess if you wouldn't mind just tell me a little bit about one i guess I guess first, why now, and what's different this time around uh, than last time? Well, this is a this is a another COVID story. I think that COVID was a time for for people to try and uh, just kind of work out some some things that were maybe unresolved, take care of unfinished business, or take up a new hobby, or you know, or just rest and recover and regroup. So one of the things that I did, uh, you know, during the the challenges of COVID is I I made up my mind that I was going to uh, I was going to find the rights to the book. So the book was originally published in 2015 um, by a company called Gatehouse in Singapore, and this company uh, is just one of many small companies owned by a gentleman that uh, lives far away. Um, it's an interest of his, but it's not. It, it's yeah, I mean that's really kind of all it was. So when the book, um, so when the book actually went. Uh, uh, you know, all the printing was done and the books were sold out. He didn't reprint. 
And not only did he not reprint, you know, I didn't get any royalties per se. Um, I didn't really get any traction or follow up on, on the interest or the feedback for the book. And then it just kind of stopped. Um, and, uh, and it was gone. And it was just a part of my life that really helped give me some good recognition. And I think it helped me get my Sake Samurai title. But it was done. It was like something that happened. And then that was it. Um, and then uh, during COVID, I made up my mind I was going to find the rights. I was going to find out how much it costs. Um, and then I was going to to make it again. So first I found the guy um, that took a lot of time. And then I finally got him to agree to the rights. And that took a lot of time. Then I finally got him to name a price that was still exorbitant, um, in my opinion, but at least it was a number that was not as exorbitant as he originally said. So I, I was able to negotiate with him. And then I was able to find and put the money together and uh and i was able to purchase the rights to the book so here i am i've got this 40 gig file um you know or however big it was uh and i've got to figure out how to turn it into a book and that's where luckily um some great friends in hong kong uh actually have a, a printing factory in china and they print all the okay. books for Tashin, Fidon, and all those okay. gasoline. Oh wow! And so um, the long story short is that they they literally started a publishing house just so I could get this book out again. So the publisher is wow. called Tanso. That's on the spine of the book. Okay, and, yeah, that's uh, what I was trying to figure out because it was it was the it was yeah. the one and only book or the one only book yeah. in that in that publisher site. So I was like, where yeah. where did this come from? Yeah. So they just did it to see, and and we have some. Other ideas, you know, I've got some friends who have books that are out of print and I've got some friends who have books that are not yet published and they have their own connections and resources. So ideally we, we make some more books in the future, but, you know, like me with, with my many projects, these guys also have a ton of projects. And so sure. it'll happen when it happens. I mean, I don't yeah. see us, you know, we're, we're, we'll be close forever. And, and, you know, if they call me in 10 years and say they want to find another person to book to print, I'll be there to yeah. help them because they were there cool. for me. Um, and, uh, so it's out on Tanso. Um, we printed about 3,300 copies, something like that. And this, uh, you know, this, the mission of this is to try and, and, you know, put as much proceeds as I can towards paying off the investment for the rights of the book. Yeah. And uh, I am currently in talks uh, with a number of different breweries and people um, to actually uh, plan a trip to Japan sometime between May and July where I will be visiting 20 to 25 new breweries and updating the, the book. And I'm also talking with a Japanese printer uh, to help me and publisher to help me release the book in dual language in smaller volumes. Oh, wow. So hopefully by the end of this year, or at least, you know, soon anyways, my goal is end of this year, um, we will actually have the book um, printed in Japanese and English um, and in smaller volumes. So oh, wow. um, it can appeal to a different market. I mean, I know the book's not cheap, but it's heavy. And even when people are willing to spend $100 for the book, they then have to ship it to wherever they are. And that costs another $100. So I realize sure. it's an investment, but it's it's that kind of book. Um, but I think that there's now a market of people that want to have access to the information and the photos and the stories of all these great sake makers but uh, need it in a bit more of a handy format. So um, a lot of the information from the book will be included in the app. 
and I will be printing it in dual language, I hope, like I say, by the end of this year. Very cool. Again, since you don't yeah. have enough to do. <laughs> So, I mean, I know you say, of course, like clearly I don't have enough to do, but don't forget that visiting these breweries means yeah. I get to ask them questions about, sure. you know, who, what markets they work with. I get to ask sure. them if they have, uh, you know, uh, export partners. And oftentimes it's like, oh, you can export to Singapore, but not Hong Kong, yeah. or you can export to North America, but not Europe. So, yeah. so, you know, you learn these things. The only way to learn it is by like being there. And I'm there yeah. anyway, so why don't I include yeah. them in the book? Sure. And then sure. I so like it's it's actually brings you know it's a good it's a good juncture because it brings it all full circle. The book is just a a, a tool in a sense, like not to make it unromantic because it's romantic to me, but the book is a tool to help tie together sure. or help help connect those links that I'm that yeah. I'm working so hard to try and connect. Absolutely, and the and the cycle continues. Beautiful. Excellent. Elliot, thank you so much. I've taken up a whole lot of your time. Um, no, I, I really so appreciate overdue. it. It's been like, really I nice. Just, I know I we should chat anyways. So absolutely. It's, it's, absolutely. We should, we should do this more often. I said, I don't, I don't know. To. I don't know when I'm going to make it to, to Hong Kong in, in the near future. I don't know when I'm going to make it out of the town of hot springs in the near future. I'm going to think I'm going to yeah. down here for a while, but um, I hope we can, I hope we can do this in, in person again here. I'm sure we will. Not not well. too far, not too far away. We'll find a time. That would be excellent. I appreciate excellent. it. Yeah, I guess before we sign off here, where would uh, if folks want to follow along with your adventures endeavors? Um, I I saw you've been pretty active on Instagram as of late. Oh yeah, we have one more thing to talk about, don't we? <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. So I think following Instagram is like the channel that I use to share any events or pop ups or sake information or or anything like that. I try to link it to Facebook because I know some people, especially in Japan, they prefer Facebook. Um, and uh, and then on my Instagram, you can find you know any business that I'm affiliated with as well, like a link to there. But most important right now, my Instagram uh, is used for uh, one more project called Sake A Day. Um, Sake A Day is something I started on January 2nd. It's something I decided I wanted to do in December. I hemmed and hawed and wondered if it was possible or if I could or should do it because I also, if I did it, I had to do it and it meant I couldn't fail. So I eventually decided to do it. So I taste the sake um, online uh, every day. Uh, that's it for, you know, for anywhere between like three, uh, sorry, uh, one and a half to three minutes max. So it's a, it's a very short bite. It's just a chance for people to see some guy drinking sake somewhere to prove the point that, that wherever you are, you can probably find sake. Um, and, uh, and it's just a message that I want to get out there. And the only way to get it out there is to do it myself. Um, and then hopefully, you know, I, my, my goal is to get to a hundred first. And once I get to a hundred, I'll probably start inviting people like, you know, just once a month. Like, so I would say, Hey, Justin, will you do a sake a day? Um, here's what you got to do. Go, you can be outside, you can be at a bar, you can be at home, grab a bottle talk about it for 90 seconds don't uh do more than three takes yeah and uh and send it to me or, or sorry and post it on your feed and invite me as a collaborator so yeah. i can post it too yeah. and it can be anything it can be old sake new sake sparkling sake it can be i did one that i found like in my office fridge um that you know had been there forever it had been open but like one sip had been taken outside and i just wanted to know like was it was it still 
drinkable. And, you know, was it tired? Yes. Was it rotten? No. Would I drink the whole bottle? I mean, yeah, I would if that was the occasion. Like, like somebody, I actually gave it to one of the people that work in the office. And I said, take this for dinner. I said, it's fine. It's literally been in the fridge for two years. Um, you know, and, and just because it's not drinking at its finest, like, does it mean, what are you going to, are you going to throw it out? Are you going to cook yeah. with it? Are yeah. you going to let it sit there for longer? Which is yeah. usually what happens. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, I mean, and, and then, you know, I'm drinking, of course, a lot of like, you know, fresh and seasonal releases, whatever. And yesterday in order in, um, uh, yesterday in honor of the taste wars competition, I, uh, featured, uh, Ryukyu 1429. Kaze five-year aged awamori because awamori is sake too. And, yeah. you know, so any chance I get to teach somebody a tiny little like morsel rather than make it complicated or long or drawn out, I just try to say something different every time and try to taste something different every time. And, and yeah, so. Cool. No, that's excellent. You bring up a good point that saying that there, you know, you noted that, you know, kind of wherever you go, you're probably going to find sake somewhere, you know, and I guess the, uh, the, the next layer to that is whatever you find out there is, is, is worth exploring, you know? Yeah. You just got to try it. I mean, it doesn't mean that it's going to be on your sake list or it's going to be in your fridge at home or, but like, I mean, that bottle is there. And especially if it's open, like, like either, like you have to drink it or somebody else is right. Yeah. Otherwise it's yeah. wasted and nobody wants sure. to waste it. Sure. So you better just check if it's okay or not. Um, and so that's, I'm just trying whatever, whenever. Cool. No, that's yeah. great. That's great. That's great. Excellent. Elliot, thank you so much for joining me. I can't Thanks, thank you Justin. enough. Um, we'll definitely, we have more than a handful of reasons to get you back on here in the near future. So we'll, we'll be talking here again soon. Uh, thank you. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks so much. That there has been one more episode of Sake On Air. For anybody who has questions or comments, you can send those to questions at sakeonair.com or find Sake On Air on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. This show is brought to you with the fantastic support of the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association and broadcast in a normal world from the Japan Sake and Shochu Information Center located in the heart of Tokyo. The show is a production by Posuke Productions with editing work by Mr. Frank Walton.